You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. You can open your Bibles over to Luke chapter 4. That's where we're going to go. Um, so again, we always have some new people here. So we've been working. Uh, this this series is entitled Faith and Expectation. And uh, this began at a time where the Lord gave me a number of statements that we've talked about over the last several weeks. You can pick up the, the first several um, teachings in this from our podcast or go to our website and get podcasts. You can get YouTube videos or whatever you like. Um, so felt like the Lord was calling us to just to, to come up a level essentially in both our faith, our confidence in God, and our expectation. Those two go hand in hand. Christian expectation is called hope. It's a, it's a joyful anticipation of what God is going to do. All right. And uh, faith is, is our just rock solid confidence in him keeping his word and doing what he says he'll do. Uh, so we've been talking about that and we've made a few, I want to make a few of these statements again. One of them was we really rarely, uh, see anything happen or re- receive something from God that we don't joyfully anticipate. In other words, that we don't, that's outside of our hope. That's not to say, I've made this statement a number of times and I felt today like I should bring up, obviously God does things at times that we're not expecting, uh, we've we've probably all received unexpected blessing, unexpected favor, unexpected God just dealing with something in a in a completely different way than we expected Him uh, to deal with it. So so it's not that God doesn't do anything that we don't expect. It's that in our walk with Him and our our that intimacy that that faith walk that we have with Him there needs to be and there should be a sense of expectation. Again, we've said over and over, we're not talking about being presumptuous with God. You can tell when you're being presumptuous because when God doesn't do what you think he should have done, you get mad, okay? And, and, I've, and I've known people over the years, over and over and over, I've known people that got really, really angry with God because he didn't do what they asked him to do or what they thought he should do in the way that they thought he should do it at the time that they thought he should do it. They experienced disappointment. They let that disappointment become bitterness. And then actually, in, in some cases, in a few cases, spent some years, and some are still doing it, uh, trying to sort of punish God by separating themselves from, you know, separating themselves from the body of Christ, whatever, and it was sort of like, well, you didn't do what I thought then. I'm just going to be over here and, and too bad. And, you know, it, it's just, it's, I should try to be nice sometimes. You know, it's a very childish attitude to have. But, but we're not talking about being, you know, presumptuous toward God. We're talking about, think about in your life, there are people that tell you they're going to do something and you have absolutely no doubt they'll do it. They're going to do it. Because they said it, they're going to do it. So you have great confidence in the fact that they're going to do it. They're going to do just what they said. And, and that's, that's faith. You're, you're exerting faith. You're exerting confidence because you trust their integrity. You trust their character. You trust their word. There are other people in your life that, uh, in fact, with, with that first category, sometimes if whatever it is doesn't get done, 
you're worried about them because you know they always do what they say they're going to do. So you're, so you're more like, oh, what happened? You know, are you okay? All right. There are other people in your life that they tell you they're going to do something and, and you give it a 75, 25, 80, 20, you know, chance that that's probably, you know, probably going to happen. I'm not being critical. This is just life, right? And, and then there are other people that say it and you're like, okay, you know, I appreciate that you had that thought, <laughs> you know, we'll see. And, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to make a bunch of plans based on that because it may happen, it may not. Those are just levels of integrity and follow through and that kind of thing. God, he cannot lie. So he never acts contrary to his nature. He can't. He cannot lie. He is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He doesn't, the Bible says it's not like shifting shadows. He's not one way one day and one day another. So we can have tremendous confidence that he is going to keep his word. And that is called faith. And that leads into um, hope. And, and I don't want to get off on this too much because we've taught on it so many times, but faith and hope work together. Faith, the Bible tells us, is the substance of things we hope for. So many times that anticipation comes first, that joyful anticipation. We see something in the Word. We're not 100% confident yet, but we've got hope. And then as we spend time with God or in His Word, then faith will fill, it will become the substance, the strength of that thing we're hoping for. So faith really runs in the track of our hope. At the same time, when we have confidence in God, it also inspires more hope. It also, we, we have confidence that he's going to do it, and we get excited about it. I haven't seen it yet, but man, I'm excited about it because God's good for his word, right? And, and again, this whole study has just been about the fact that I, I feel like at this point in time, for us particularly, the Lord is saying, I need a little, I need a little more expectation and a little more faith so that he can do the things he wants to do in and through us in our lives. So that's why we're looking at all of this. Um, Now I had a thought, but now I pretty much lost it. Uh, The way that we develop those expectations toward God, and we we went over this last week, just going to touch on it again. We know God's, our expectation of God is going to be intimately connected to our understanding of his nature. What you think he's going to do, what you expect him to do, what you anticipate, I think is a better word, him doing, it's, it's going to be connected to who you think he is. And there are a lot of places that we can get information about who God is, what he's like, what's his nature, what's his character. Uh, obviously, the scripture and Jesus are the two that we need to look at. But, you know, I said this last week, it's just so true. You see it all the time. There are loads of people, especially now that we have, you know, now that we have the internet and now that we have social media, there are loads of people out there who don't even believe in God that will very happily tell you what he's like that they will tell you what he's like, what he'll do, what he doesn't do. They'll tell you what Christians are like. They'll tell you, and you may not be like that at all. They'll tell you out of a total misunderstanding of the Bible what the Bible says and therefore what you should be like and why they can dismiss the whole thing. 
goes on all the time. So the point is, again, not being critical, it's just life. That's the life we live in. It's the place we live. So we need to be picky about what information we receive and where we look to understand the nature of God. And so the, the first place we look is, is in God's word. God has said a lot to define himself. All right? And uh, he, there, there's just, I, I love to see what God has said about himself. So that's, that's one place. And we will probably in future weeks spend a little more time on that. We, uh, seeing God's, what is known as God's ways, in the scripture. It's his motivation. It's, it's the way, it's the patterns of how he functions. You know, when we get to know each other. We see patterns of how the other person functions. We call that getting to know that person. We can kind of predict what they're going to do, you know, and, and that can be a very enjoyable thing. We can get very settled with each other. Well, God has ways because again, he's true to his nature. So he does things over and over the same way. And we can learn a lot about who he is from that. So always, I I love to watch in the scripture, what pleases God? What brings joy to his heart? What's he pleased about? What's he excited about? You know, it tells you a lot about his, his nature. And then obviously, you know, the scripture says, and we looked at it last week, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So any belief that we might have about God that doesn't line up with what we see in Jesus, guess what? We're wrong, okay? Jesus is the exact image of the Father. And so he, looking at him, getting to know him better and better our whole lives, seeing, again, his ways, how he does things, having that intimate relationship with him, you are created for an intimate relationship with the Lord. You can know the voice of the Lord. You can know when he's speaking to you from the Bible, when he's speaking to your heart. We can all grow in the knowledge of that. He's given us his spirit for that very purpose. And, and so watching Jesus, knowing who he is. In the scripture, we find names of God and titles of God. And what we have to remember is that names, to the, particularly in the Old Testament, God kept revealing himself by, by giving Israel a name for himself. And we're going to look at those in the in coming weeks. We're not going to start on it today. Uh, but those names are not just, you know, our names don't really mean anything. I mean, they do. If you look them up, you know, most our names have some background meaning uh, to them. And, and that's fine. But none of us in this day in the Western world, we don't think of that. You know, we don't, we don't think, even, even when you think about Jesus of Nazareth, okay? He was Jesus. He was the Jesus. There were lots of Jesuses, Joshua, actually. And, but this was the one from Nazareth, you know? And, and so it was at least connected to a place. But to the Hebrew mind, names weren't just identification tags. They spoke of the nature or character of a place or a person or whatever it was. So when God names himself, the, the Lord God, our shepherd, or the Lord God, our healer, or the Lord God, our righteousness, or the Lord God, our victory banner, or whatever it might be, a whole bunch of names, all right? He's saying, this is my nature. This is who I am. 
So as we find those in the scripture and look at them, the important thing, and again, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this this morning, the important thing in that, when we start looking at names of God, is, okay, he is, he is uh, Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord God, my peace. Or the Lord God, is he, the question comes up, is he, the Lord God, my peace? He is peace. It's part of his nature. All right, and he comes to give us peace, but is he has he become my peace? Has he become my shepherd? Has he become those things to me? Have I adjusted and changed my approach to him to where I have received him as those things? And when I need peace, where do I go? Do I go to him? Or do I go to the movies? You know, I mean, do I, you know, what do I do? really, in my life, in that area? Has he become the Lord God, my peace? So as we begin to look at those names, which is not today, sorry, uh, you know, that's going to be the issue is recognizing, okay, this is a part of his nature. Have I received that personally? Okay, and, and if not, how do I, you know, I need to get that straightened out uh, in my life. And and the the what I want to talk to you about uh, this morning is that, and just connect this with me real quick. Again, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. forever. He can't lie. He does not act contrary to his nature. We can do that. We can have outbursts. We can act contrary to our nature. He, he doesn't do that. He can't do that. So everything he does flows out of his nature. All right? And what he does in this earth, in his actions with us, when he has a purpose that he is carrying out, which flows out of his nature, then the scripture uses this term that he, he anoints that. The Holy Spirit comes upon that to empower the, the carrying out of that purpose. And this is where we come into uh, Luke chapter 4. Hope, or, uh, yeah, Luke chapter 4, hopefully you found it, beginning in verse 18. As we look at Jesus, we can look at what has God anointed Jesus to do, realizing that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, that he only did what he saw the Father doing. He only said what he heard the Father saying. So when we're looking at Jesus, we're looking at an image, at a picture of the Father's nature. Is this making sense to you? So if he anointed, if he put his spirit upon Jesus to carry out a certain work, that tells us that that work was God's purpose. It was his heart. It was his will. And it, and it is a part of his Nature, it's a reflection of his nature. Is this making sense? I don't have Karen to tell me if it is or not, so you guys have to help me. Okay. Um, she got mad and left the church. No, she's, she's, this is, this is her final, this is her final. She's selling paintings over at the park at Art in the Park today, so she was in to help us with worship, but this is her, her final sales day for this year, so I wish they'd do some of these things on Saturday. It would sure be nice. So does she. Okay, did you find Luke 4? Luke 4, it's in the Bible. Okay, got it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, New Testament. Okay, Luke 4. Um, 
Let's just read through this, and then we're going to pick it apart a bit. Jesus, he, he, went, into this, uh, he went into the synagogue, and they gave him the scroll to read the scripture for that day. And it says, he, to our minds, he just opened it uh, to these verses out of Isaiah. All right, but uh, some, some scholars say that all the synagogues, that it, was, it wasn't just an accident or it was, you know how sometimes we'll uh, just open the Bible and do this and hope God speaks to us through it. He wasn't doing that. And uh, I've always seen him selecting this verse to say something about himself. That's possible, but I had just come across recently some information that said all of the synagogues would read this verse on that day. And, but they handed it, they handed the scroll to him to read, nevertheless. So there he is, and he reads this, uh, it's a quote out of Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, I want you to notice that word upon, because, notice that word because, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The Amplified Bible there with acceptable year of the Lord defines it as the the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. That's the day in which we live. The day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. And it says, Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, everybody there knew this was a messianic scripture. Everybody knew this was a prophecy about the Messiah. And he sat down and claimed to be the Messiah. From these scriptures, he said, this is, this is why I'm here. So again, what God, let's just talk about some of these terms. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, okay? We've talked about this before. That term upon refers to when the Holy Spirit comes on a person for ministry for a reason to empower them to do something for the Lord. And we see uh, when we talk about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, we see these different words used. It, It tells us that when we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, it uses the term, comes into us comes into us, comes to live in us, tells us there to, to uh, receive the Holy Spirit. When Jesus breathed on his disciples, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. That word receive literally means admit him into you. He comes to live on the inside of us. He comes into us. So when we get born again, the Holy Spirit comes into us and he begins to minister to us. He begins to reveal God to us and change things in our life and, you know, walk with us and guide us and do all those things. He's ministering to us. Then in the book of Acts, when uh, we talk about the Holy Spirit being baptized in the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, wait here. And in a few days, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And it uses this terminology, upon. 
And that's always, uh, it's a picture of saturation with the Holy Spirit to empower for ministry. And again, every single one of us have a ministry. We are New Testament believers. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have interactions with people. God empowers us to bring his life to people. And it's true of us every single day. It's not a vocation. It's who we are. But the Holy Spirit comes upon He comes into us for us. He comes upon us for others. He comes upon us to minister to others in in all the ways that Jesus ministered to people. So Jesus is saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. All right, So, so we understand that that means the Holy Spirit has come upon him to empower him for what God has sent him for. And, and he uses that term because. When we use that term because, we mean there's a reason. I did this. Why did you do this? I did it because, right? There's a reason that I did or I'm going to do. I'm going to do this because. We're pointing to a reason and Jesus is doing the same thing. He says, the Holy Spirit came upon me because for, for this reason that he has anointed me. And again, we don't use that term anointed or anointing much. But in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, it was represented, it was illustrated by, uh, again, what it means is the Holy Spirit coming upon flesh to empower ministry. And in the Old Testament, because people couldn't be born again, people couldn't have the Holy Spirit live on the inside of them. But he did at times come and rest upon them for specific purposes, for, for, to prophesy, uh, to rule as a king, uh, you know, as the priests were anointed to do their ministry, there were these different ministries and the Holy Spirit would come upon people, but he couldn't stay, couldn't live in them until Jesus came. So, so this term anointing in the Old Testament, they would, they would illustrate that by pouring a, a jug. It wasn't this little couple of drops. It, they poured oil over them and it, and it ran down and it covered them. And it was this image of the Holy Spirit coming upon flesh. And it was always for purpose. It was always for ministry. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's, again, he's quoting this scripture, this prophecy that was about him. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because for this reason, he has anointed me for these things. Well, if God is going to anoint somebody to do something, obviously that thing is God's will. And if we look at what that thing is, we can see his nature. And as we see his nature, our expectation can change. We say, oh, this is who he is. Well, I want to see more of that. I want to know more of that. I want that in my life. I want that for my friends. I want that for my neighbors. We, it, do you see how all this, is this tying together? Does it translate? Somebody nod. Good. So, so here's what he said. He, first of all, he said, uh, He has anointed me for this divine purpose to preach the gospel to the poor. First of all, that word preach is not just about somebody getting up and giving a good talk or giving a good speech or exciting us or, or, you know, appealing to our emotions. We think of that, oh, that was, you know, we think of that as preaching. It really means to publicly announce a new reality. So Jesus is saying, He has anointed me to publicly announce, not not talk about maybe, but he's announcing 
a, a new reality for the poor. Okay, and, and he says, he says he's, he sent me to preach to publicly announce good news. The word gospel just means good news. Everything God tells you is good news. And for the poor. And again, we tend to, we tend to so minimize this. This term poor, here's what it means. For those of you that are taking notes, it means helpless. It means destitute. It means unable or without adequate resources. All right? Without adequate resources or the needed power to sustain, to influence, or to overcome. Poor does not just refer to lack of money. It's a much more general term than that. Jesus talked about being poor in spirit. You can be poor physically. You can be, sometimes, you know, they used to say that. We don't use that terminology much anymore. They used, how are you feeling? I'm feeling poorly. It meant my body doesn't feel right. I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling sick. I'm feeling inadequate, right? You can be poor physically, spiritually, emotionally, uh, relationally. You can be poor in all of these different areas, financially, all right? It means you're without adequate resources or the needed power to sustain something or to release influence for something or to overcome something. He said he came, he was anointed by God. So this is God's will, this is God's purpose. It comes out of his nature to announce that there is good news for those who are without adequate resources in any area of life. That's what he's saying here. So it's not just, this is how, it's not that Jesus was just saying, look, I have some good news for people who don't have enough money and that good news is you are morally superior to people who do have money. That's how it gets talked about in our society, all right? That's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I am announcing a brand new reality for people who, are, who have are inadequate to overcome, inadequate to move forward, don't have the resources. That's all of us in various areas of life. This is not a statement just about money. I'm gonna, he's not saying I'm going to punish the rich people. He's not, saying, he's not saying any of that. He's talking to everybody here. We are all without resource within ourselves to overcome, to, to make progress in various areas of our life. And Jesus is saying, God has anointed me to give you good news. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay in that condition. All right? He's bringing this just powerful solution to that. So what about expectation? Well, where you have an area of lack, what are you expecting from God? Are you expecting change there? Are you expecting God has an answer to this? God has a solution to this. I'm in this place right now, but I, I have, I'm anticipating God giving me an answer. Is there hope in that area? Because it's a part of his nature and our expectation should correlate to it. We should let it build uh, a new expectation in our life. And he said he came to heal the brokenhearted. This term brokenhearted, it's a compound Greek word. And it means it describes a heart, oh, this is tough. Describes a heart that has been beaten. It's been bruised by repeated blows. It's been shattered. It's been crushed. And we've 
many of us have experienced things like that in life. We all know people who have experienced things like that where their heart has just been crushed by things going on on the earth. Things that were never God's intention that happen on the earth. And, you know, we've, we've, we've experienced that. We, we know that. We understand that. Jesus came to publicly announce something new. Healing for the brokenhearted. And so, if you are brokenhearted, if your heart has been beaten over and over and over and damaged, what is your expectation? I don't say that as some kind of challenge. Your expectation can be for healing from that. You don't have to stay there the rest of your life. You can be healed. You can be lifted up. Jesus is actually anointed by God. He's carrying the power of God to change that place in your life. But we, we find that in that situation, you know, some are, they're anticipating. They're not there yet, but they're anticipating full recovery from whatever has happened to them in life. They're anticipating full restoration and heart things take time. It's, it's, it usually comes in waves. It is not instantaneous, but we can be fully recovered. And, and there are a lot of people who know the Lord that that's exactly what they're anticipating. Some don't understand that he came to heal the brokenhearted and they kind of confuse healing with just some sympathy. And so they're, they're really, all they're expecting is sympathy from God. And then that tends to be what they're looking for from people is, is sympathy. The deal with healing the brokenhearted is a lot of times it's challenging for the brokenhearted person because the Lord does require us at times, yes, we draw on him, but he requires us to take what he says and step into it and to, to come out of that with him. And sometimes we don't want that. We kind of like the sympathy more than we want to be recovered. And this is, again, I'm not being critical. This is just human beings. And so there are people who are just all their, their, their whole conversation, their whole life, it's about sympathy. And sympathy will not get you free. It will not get you free. It will not get you recovered. It'll just make you feel better emotionally for a little while. God will give you more than that. He'll give you a road to actually getting on top and being recovered. It won't change the fact you'll know that whatever happened, happened, but it won't hold you anymore. It won't keep you broken down. And there are other people, honestly, that are just basking in the brokenness. And there's even, there's a lot of doctrine out there that it's like the sign of spiritual activity in my life is that I'm broken. No, the sign of spiritual activity in your life is that you're on a road to healing that you are growing, that you are changing, that, that you've come a ways. That's the sign that you're receiving what Jesus is doing because he didn't say, I came to keep you brokenhearted. He said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. Okay, so don't let yourself just bask in brokenness. There's a whole lot of religion out there. There's a whole lot of uh, theology that's just, it's, it's worldly. It's not biblical, about just kind of, you know, people are almost proud of their brokenness, you know, and uh, we don't, we don't want to stay there. 
we don't need to stay there. Real quickly, he came to proclaim liberty or deliverance, okay, for the captive. And usually that terminology is used most of the time in the New Testament. It speaks specifically of uh, liberty, deliverance from sin, the, both the condition of sin and the tendency towards sin and all that. And that's obviously legitimate. But in this case, it doesn't have that qualifier. It is, again, a broad statement about whatever, it, what it's saying, the picture is, a person is tied up, okay, captive. It's, it's a picture of being tied up and held away. So it's anything that would tie us up and keep us away from a full relationship with God, everything that he has for us. Any, that could be so many things. That can be doubt. That can be fear. That can be, uh, that can be loving our brokenness. That can be greed. That can be, uh, oh, there's just, you know, there's an endless list of weights, cares, you know, that we can take on. And, and Jesus is making this broad statement, I came to bring, to proclaim, again, to announce publicly that there is deliverance for the captive. You know, if we have idols in our life, things that we, we obey more than we obey God, that'll keep you away from a full relationship with God. So, he came to do, he was anointed to do, we're out of time actually, uh, he was anointed to do all of these things. And again, just to bring it back to our subject, when we look at that and we look at other statements like this, we can see, okay, God empowered Jesus to do this. Therefore, this is a picture of God's nature. God wants me free. He wants my brokenheartedness healed. He wants to, to set me free from anything that would tie me away from him. He, he, is, he has a, a new reality for where I have been lacking ability in my life. All right. We're just going to have to stop right there because the next step I couldn't do quickly. So let's just stop right there. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me? We're going to be dismissed. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father God. Lord, I just, my prayer over this whole series and this whole time that we're together is that every one of us would know you better, would keep growing in our understanding of you. And Lord, we would learn uh, together how to, how to seek out knowing you better. Lord, how as we're reading our Bibles, Lord, to, to slow down and to, to recognize. And Holy Spirit, we know you do this. You show us these things, but help us to recognize when you're nudging us and calling our attention to a specific verse and, and to just stay there until we absorb what it is you have for us and especially the revelation of you and your nature and who you are. Because Lord, our life, the core of our life is about knowing you. That it just is. That is the core of everything. So Father, as we go out of this place today, I believe, just as we prayed earlier, we are better equipped to walk into this world, to continue to change and grow in you, and to take the opportunities you give us to be lights in dark places, to bring light, to bring joy, to bring hope, to bring peace, to bring freedom, Lord, to those around us. And we accept that and receive that and thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to be dismissed. We always, uh, on the count of three, we always declare that Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. And then there are lots of snacks and goodies out here today. And I know we have a number of visitors. I hope you can hang around for a while, get to know some people.
and um, go out there and be the church this week, okay? So let's say it, one, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.